Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's another week in isolation for me. I'm <laughs> back hidden away. Stay away from the dry away. cleaning bags, okay? I'll stay away from all of that. I'm not okay. sick at all, but we're just in this uh, coronavirus separation period, and we're doing the, the show from my office at home. So the, the one thing that I did notice What's this that? week, I have to print a lot of stuff at home. I ran out of printer ink. Oh, that's not good. Because I'm printing so many documents, so now I ordered more printer ink. It's not going to come until Monday. So, so the show outlined today is printed in blue because I had no black ink. You could you could get creative and make. You see, maybe that's a, a thing for Tech Talk to uh, the the uh, research department. Figure out things you can make replacement toner printer out of, so you don't have to go out of the house. That's what I need to do. Food refill coloring. my ink cart. Well, you can refill your ink cartridges if you really want to save money, but I'm not into that quite yet. But there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. news, technology news relating yes. to uh, coronavirus. There's a UV sterilizer for an iPhone or for a mobile phone. I'll talk about that. That's product of the week. Mm -hmm. There's also some technology that keeps you from touching your face. Is it called a cattle prod? No, no. Well, you just have to wait for it, Jim. Okay. And I got, I got two applications that will keep you from touching your face. Okay. It also keeps you from biting your fingernails if you want to, if you want to do that. I don't have that problem. And we'll and we'll do, and we'll do a review of the uh, coronavirus math. I, I started a, a math review last week. We'll look. At, we'll give an update on the math review to see where we stand with the latest results. Because everybody is home and watching Netflix and and YouTube and uh, Prime Video, bandwidth speeds in the big cities are dropping a little bit yeah. because the the networks are just loaded up with you know getting close to their capacity. And uh, Alexa, this I love Alexa, they now have special guidance for COVID-19, for coronavirus. And so you, they'll ask you a series, she'll ask a series of questions to see whether you might be uh, infected and then and she'll tell you what to do. And, uh, you know, Dyson uh, vacuums, you know, they make those yeah. really nice, fancy dice. They made a ventilator system using their technology. Heard, and they're, gonna, yeah. they're gonna put it in production. So that was kind of interesting. Very and this good. week we're gonna feature James M. Clark. He's the man who started Silicon Graphics. And that, that was the graphics engine be, behind a lot of the animated movies. And he also was a co-founder of Netscape Communications. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, we got an email from Dave in Everett, Washington. Hello, Dr. Shirts and Jim. I've got several old computers that I've outgrown and which are now gathering dust in my garage. 
I'd like to donate or trash them responsibly, but I'm concerned of the information that may still reside on the hard drives. Can you recommend a program you trust that will totally wipe all the files clean? Good question. Thanks for a great show, and I listen to each program via podcast. Dave and Everett, Washington. Well, Dave, to wipe your hard drive means to completely erase it of all of information. Now, we know that deleting files doesn't really wipe the hard drive. That just basically deletes the index that references the file location. And then if you delete the index, you can't actually reach the data with your operating system. But there are data recovery tools that can go beyond the operating system, and they can reclaim the data that's still left on there. So to really make it secure, wipe, you've got to actually wipe all the data so that there's no trace of it. There's a great program, uh, Dave, that I've talked about before, Derek's Boot and Nuke. <laughs> Derek's Boot and Nuke. They, they call it D-Band, D-B-A-N, Derek's Boot and Nuke. So D-Band is a free data destruction, data dis destruction software. It's ready to go. It's in an ISO format. That means that's the format uh, on a, when you copy a file to a CD and then you boot off the CD, you actually copy the ISO file to the CD. So what you do, you would basically go to the D-Band download site, which is at SourceForge. But you know, rather than try to give you that complicated link, just search Derek's boot, boot and Nuke and you'll get to it, it's on, on Source SourceForge. So you download it, and then you need a CD rewrite, and you can copy that ISO file to the CD. You could also copy it to a thumb drive if your computers will boot up on the thumb drive, but I'm thinking they may not. Now, if your computers don't have a CD rewrite, a CD reader in them, you can buy one for about $15 and plug it into the USB port. And then what you do, you boot up the computer off the CD. And so it will boot right up into D-Band. And then it's a very easy menu, and you just say you want to delete everything, and it will wipe the files multiple times. It will overwrite them, and it will wipe it again, overwrite it, wipe it again, and it will get rid of any magnetic memory. D-Band is an excellent tool, Dave, and it won't cost you a penny. And uh, it'll it'll just get rid of the data. It will not get rid of the, uh, the operating system or the applications on the No, it wipes everything. It wipes everything. Everything gotcha. off the drive. I, I, you know, everything. I, this I, is when this is when you want to have a, a hard drive that has no no data left. I have a funny feeling after this quarantine is 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 finished, this isolation period, a lot of people using their work computers at home may need this. They may well they may yeah, you know, they don't want to know what they don't want their boss to know where they've been surfing. But mm -hmm. you know, a lot of work computers are really tied into the central server system and the so IT. The IT department can track everything. Yeah. There's if, if you're if you're using a work computer, don't do Be anything. Be careful. Personal. No, don't do anything personal on it because I'll tell you the IT department can track everything. Yep. Uh, yep. It's set up to track everything. It's government. It's it not government. It's it's company property or government property, and just don't do anything personal on it. Keep, have an absolute rule that nothing personal on that computer. Right. Because you because you don't want to go to a website and then get a, get some malware or something. You exactly. just want to you just want to do it for work and keep the kids off your work computer. Jeez, oh, yeah, for Very sure. Very important. We got an email from June in Burke. 
Dear Doc and Jim, I'm worried about the security of my laptop when I'm traveling. I use Wi-Fi hotspots and hotel Wi-Fis to connect. You've talked about VPNs to get secure connections, but what what are some VPNs that you'd recommend? I enjoy the podcast, June in Burke, Virginia. Well, June, you are right on the money. A VPN is a virtual private network. It's a great way to ensure that you got a secure network connection. It basically connects to what they call a proxy server, and the proxy server makes all of your web requests. So if anybody, if you make a request to a particular website, it goes to the IP address of the proxy server, not to the IP address of your computer. So people can't tell where you're located. Now, the nice thing is the connection between your computer and the proxy server is encrypted with DES-256. That's very good encryption. So if anybody intercepts your traffic, they don't know what you're doing because it's fully encrypted. So it's a very safe way to go. It's also nice if you're traveling and you want to use, say, some media content that's only available in the U.S. and you're, say, in France, you can log on to a proxy server in the U.S., and the company serving up that uh, media will think you're in the U.S. because the proxy server's in the U.S. and the IP address is in the U.S. Now, there are three good options. I'm going to give you what I think is the best overall VPN, but if you're on a budget, I'll give you a budget VPN, which is pretty good. And then I'll give you one if you if you want to connect like 10 devices. You've got a lot of connections. So the best overall VPN, in my judgment, is ExpressVPN. I've been using ExpressVPN for years, and I love it. But it's $12.95 a month. And I think I, do, I think I do the annual subscription, which is like $99. Okay. But the um, ExpressVPN has over 30,000 IP addresses, which is really good because – some of these uh, providers, if they want to keep you from you know, using their content because you're in France instead of in the U.S., they'll block certain IP addresses, and you can just go to another IP address within the ExpressVPN system. It's sort of a cat and mouse. It really irritates me, like if I'm in India, and I'm paying for Netflix, and they won't let me watch Netflix in India. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but I'm, I'm subscribing to it. I'm not bootlegging it. And uh, so the only way I can do that is you know, use a VPN. Now, they also have got 160 server locations in 94 countries, and there are more than 3,000 servers available. And they also have a strict policy of not logging any of your traffic. So they do not log which websites you're looking at at all. They don't log anything. So there's, you don't have to worry about privacy or the police coming in and saying, well, who was, there was somebody looking here? You're, it's, you're about as anonymous as you can be. And they have unlimited bandwidth. I use that. I've got it on my cell phone. I've got it on my laptop. Whenever I travel, I'm on ExpressVPN. Now, if you're on a budget, June, TunnelBear. TunnelBear <laughs> is a very good one. TunnelBear. Bizarre name. I know, TunnelBear. And it's got a little, the you know, you go there, the little web interface. There's a little bear there. It's kind of a cute interface. Now, the free service, they have a free service, but you're limited to 500 megabits per month. Uh, megabytes per month, 500 megabytes per month. And, um, and and really, so if you're just surfing the web and not, I mean, so you, you probably would not be watching movies with TunnelBear. See, like with my ExpressVPN, I can watch movies because I've got unlimited bandwidth. But if you just want to surf the web anonymously and, and, and get on a VPN, you can probably listen to audio but not video. It's a good, it's a it's really a good option for 500 mega, mega, and it gives you a 500 megabytes per month free. Now, if you want to get uh, 
more bandwidth, you can actually, there's a paid version of Tunnel Bear, which is $4.95 per month, and that gives you five devices. Oh, yeah, uh, v, Express VPN gives me five devices. I think I forgot to mention that. And then you get customer service, and they never log anything. Then they do independent annual audits, but they don't, they don't have the capacity of ExpressVPN. They've only got 22 server locations instead of 160 like ExpressVPN. They have 1,800 servers instead of 3,000 servers like ExpressVPN. But it's fine if you just want to surf at a coffee house. But if you're not an idea, uh, not a heavy user, Tunnel Bear is a good option. Now, suppose you're one of these guys that just has a boatload of devices that you want to hook up. Like you. Know, you. Yeah, like me. You know, and so th there's here's one called IP Vanish. Mm. IP Vanish, because that's where you want to surf anonymously. And now you can connect up to ten devices to that. So you could be you could have all sorts of VPN connections. I, I've never needed more than five, but but. See, the thing is with five connections, I can share it with other people. It doesn't have to be me. So, I, so you could use it as a family. Or if you have a big family, maybe you want everybody on VPNs. Maybe uh, IP Vanish is a good option. Now, IP Vanish has 1,300 servers as, as compared to ExpressVPN of like 3,000. It's in 75 countries. It has 40,000 IP addresses instead of, that's actually more IP addresses than ExpressVPN, which is 30,000. It also has a policy of not logging any data. And it uses, of course, they all use 250-bit AES encryption. That's $10 a month or about $120 a year. So that's about the same price as ExpressVPN. So if you need fewer than 10 simultaneous connections, I'd go with ExpressVPN. If you need more than, or no, fewer than five, uh, five or fewer, I'd go with ExpressVPN. If you need more than five connections, um, then you'd want to go with IP Vanish. So, June, I hope that helps you, and I hope you have secure surfing in your travels. We got an email from Brian in Erie, Kansas. Tech Talk. I'm tired of this coronavirus isolation. <laughs> I want to do some video chats to uh -huh. fill the time. <laughs> My daughter is doing uh, Zoom happy hours in Philadelphia. That is a great idea. All the kids are getting together, kids, you know, millennials. That, and they that, have happy hour via Zoom. That's a fantastic idea. Now, what Brian wants to do, he wants to do karaoke via video chat. Oh, boy. He's getting everybody together to do karaoke. But I want to know which client to use. All my friends have iPhones, and I have an Android. So all my friends want to do it on FaceTime but I don't have FaceTime. How can I bridge this gap between my Apple friends and me, who's an Android standout, isolated? So what do you recommend? Brian in Erie, Kansas. It's actually it's an interesting question because people are getting involved with these uh, platform differences. Well, there are many video chat applications out there, Brian, and, and they only work on certain platforms, as I'm sure you've noticed. Now, I wish that Apple would create a cross-platform version of FaceTime because FaceTime is really convenient to use. But I think that's a pipe dream. They view FaceTime as a real Apple competitive advantage, and they don't want to share it. Mm -hmm. So probably the best cross-platform option for you is Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger 
It's got great video chat, and pretty much everybody has it because right. if you got Facebook, you got Facebook Messenger, and uh, and both Android and iPhones have dedicated mobile apps for Messenger, and the and all everybody can get on it. So I'm thinking that your best option, Brian, is going to be Facebook Messenger. Now, if you um, Skype's not a bad option. You can do Windows to Windows Skype. You can put Skype on an Android phone. You can put Skype on an iPhone, and that's uh, so Skype is okay. I don't think the interface is as good as Facebook Messenger. In fact, I'm connected to the studio today through Skype, but I'm not doing video. No, I, I turned I turned off the video, Jim. You know, I just we wanted need, to sit here because, after all, it's radio. <laughs> it is radio. Yeah, you know, I you know I got dressed up. I'm in a suit. I'm dressed. I don't I'm believe that up, for and, a minute. <laughs> Not got a suit, got a suit and a tie, and you know, I'm sitting here eating a a, a bagel. And uh, (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that, but I saw a couple of stories yesterday that Walmart has uh, released a press release uh, saying that people online, because of working at home, their online orders for tops. People are ordering more tops than they are pants. Really? Yes. Oh, of course, because you don't need pants. You don't need pants. You don't need pants to do video conferencing. Who needs pants? This, this whole thing is going to get rid of pants. Pants will be a thing of the past. I know, I know. But wow. I, 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 I heard of this one horror story where some guy was doing that, <laughs> oh, and his geez. and the and the. And his, and his iPhone fell fell off the, the mount, and everybody could see that he had nothing on below oh, his shirt. Oh no, no, that's terrible. So, so if you do that, you Make must sure. have a very secure mount for your video device. And please wear pants, at yeah, least shorts. It wears, yeah, be yeah, be be decent. You know, be decent. I, I've been I I haven't worn a pair of long pants, and I don't know well. I've been walking around in shorts, nice shorts, but they're still shorts, right? Yeah, of course. And of course, if you're just FaceTime is really great if you're just an Apple person. It's on Macs, iPhones, iPads, but it's not going to work for you. Uh, it's not going to work for you, Brian, because all your uh, because you you've got an Android. Now, if you're if all your friends had Androids, there's an equivalent application for just Android to Android users called Google Duo, hmm. and Google Duo is there is their competitive application to FaceTime. So if you could form a club of only Android users, <laughs> Google Duo would be really good for you guys. And then you could then you could tell the iPhone people, you know, it's too bad you can't join our See, group because because you don't have Google Duo. Th- this will further, <laughs> uh, you know, divide us, uh, coronavirus, it'll divide us into two other subsets, iPhone people and Android people. That's right. So... <laughs> So listen, uh, Brian. I want you to write back. I want to know how this whole karaoke yeah, thing works know. out. But uh, you know, I'm, send actually, us a video. Actually, yeah. if you can send us a video. Or, or, that it, would, yeah, we'd that love would that. be fun. But I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, I like the happy hour better. But there's no reason that you can't yeah, combine. Like the happy, happy hour. There's no reason why you can't combine the happy hour with karaoke. I would you suggest know? that if you're involved, we not combine because I have a funny feeling you're not a very good singer. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. Let's say I just sort of what it is. I turn down the mic and just move my mouth, and then you listen to everybody else. <laughs> See? Good call. See, that's that was my secret in choir when I was in high school. You were I in choir. My, oh yeah, I was. Oh yeah, I was in choir. But you know, and and my I, I was in a Catholic school, and the sister you stay, she said, you know, Rick, you know, I hate to tell you this, but you're never quite. You know, you're never quite on tune. So she said, "Why don't you just move your mouth and <laughs> and well, look and look like you're really 
pounding it out there. I had a but, similar, but just, but just don't say anything. <laughs> I had a similar experience again. Catholic school. My mother gave me a guitar one Christmas, and I couldn't figure it out. So when the nuns figured out that I had a guitar, I was drafted for the folk mass. Oh, and my I God. couldn't play a chord. So I would stand up there and just fake strumming. There was a, luckily there was another guitarist, and I would stand there and act like I would. And it, you know, maybe I'd play a chord here and there, but I just it was total. I mean, folk mass became a complete stress event for me. Yeah, that's like me singing in the choir. Let's so maybe, not do so, this maybe, maybe maybe someday I could sing and you could play a guitar and we could we could have the guitar we, is long gone. Let me tell you, we could we could long pretty gone. much drive everybody off the air if we did that. No thanks. Okay, we got an email from Dutchie in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, our company uses Zoom for video conferencing during the coronavirus shutdown. How can I record a Zoom conference for later reference? I can't find the record button anywhere. That's a good question. Love the podcast, Dutchie in North Carolina. Well, Dutchie, if you're hosting a Zoom meeting, if you're the host, you can, and you want to record it for future use, you can. There's a, for the host, there's a record button. But if you are a participant in the meeting, you must receive permission from the host before you're able to record. Mm -hmm. So the reason you can't find the record button is you're not the host, and the host has, hasn't given you permission. By default, only the host can record on a video call. By the way, we use Zoom at Stratford for all of our online courses. The students love it. It's a great interface. Yeah, let me ask you about Zoom since, since you're talking about it. So if, if, if you're the, 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 the meeting host and you record the, uh, the meeting, can you then disseminate it to the people that were involved yeah. so they can have a record of it? You, you can disseminate it. Good. You can certainly do that. Yeah, so you can save it. That, I mean, that's what we'll do. So we're doing all of our Zoom sessions on, uh, you know, for their online courses. Uh -huh. Then we'll record it, and then we can just post it to the Moodle platform, and then the students can see it there. But sometimes you'll have a meeting, and the host is not recording it, and you just want to save your own recording. And so the, the host can actually, you know, can actually enable that. So... When you uh, so if you want to record if you if if a host wants to give a participant the 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 right to record the thing mm -hmm. the host basically there's something uh, there's a little button for the host that says manage participants okay manage participants so you click on that and you'll see a list uh, a list of the participants that are logged into your Zoom session and then you hover over one of the participants name and there will be a, a, a window that comes up and click on more. And then you'll see a drop-down menu that says Allow Recording, and click on that, and then the guest will be able to record the meeting. So, so Dutchie, just ask your host to let you record, and then you'll have the full rights. The reason they set it up that way uh -huh. is sometimes people don't want to have a bunch of recordings of a meeting. Right. Maybe, they, yeah. maybe, they want to, maybe they might want to keep it confidential. Goes so, for security, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So, so sometimes they, that's, how, that's why it's set up by default that way. We used to use Adobe Connect, which was excellent. But Zoom was a startup, and their license fees are substantially lower than Adobe Connect. Hmm. So they are stealing all the Adobe, Adobe Connect customers. We, we switched over to them last year and love it. So we love Zoom. Let me ask you this. How secure is Zoom? That's the other question I have. Uh, it's um, – I mean, I would say it's pretty secure, except I just saw some reports this last week that there were some security breaches in Zoom. I would not discuss uh, – nuclear secrets over zoom <laughs> do you I, have any I, I nuclear secrets no i don't okay. think this is i don't think this is you know security grade secure i mean you know you know it's high the level NSA security is not using zoom 
I, I don't think the NSA would be using it. I, I, I there, and there were some breaches of, on the Zoom server, so um, I would say it's moderate security. Okay. I, I don't think it's insecure. I mean, see, you, you've got to work at it, but I would not. I would not do highly classified things with this video conferencing software. We got an email from Alex in Boston. Dear Doc and Jim, my mom recently passed away, and I had to clean out her house. So good going to. Go for, uh, go for sale. While going through her closets, I found an old Kodak 110 camera with a half-used roll of film in it. Are there any places that I can still process 110 film? Oh, sure. I'd love to have that film. Well, uh, Alex, there are a lot of places to process 110 film. A real convenient place. You can go to, you can take it to CVS, and they'll process it for you. But they you know what to, I would do? Before, what, what, if, if it was half-used film, I'd try to take the rest of the pictures before I send it in. Wouldn't you? Well, I don't know. I would. I'd hate to if it's cracked. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's I a guess good point. You, that's a good point. It depends how old it is and yeah. whether it would crack if uh -huh. you start pulling it out, because you're basically rolling it up further. I think I'd just leave it. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, but you but but if the, if you drop it off at CVS, it'll take a couple of weeks because they got to send it off. It's not the you know it, this is not your normal kind of order. Right. But there is a company called Film Rescue. And that's it's filmrescue.com. Film Rescue, it basically specializes in processing aged film and videotape. So they'll develop and print, and they're they're a little bit more expensive, but their service is focused on salvaging any images that might be there. And so if you think there's something really important here, I'd just send it to Film Rescue. And you just just go to filmrescue.com. You'll get an address, and you can just mail the film there. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn about more of the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature James H. Clark. James Clark is a computer scientist best known as co-founder of Silicon Graphics and Netscape Communications. Now, Clark was born in Plainview, Texas, March 23, 1944. Now, he didn't start out in a very illustrious way. He dropped out of high school at age 16, and then he went and spent four years in the Navy, and he was introduced to electronics. While he was in the Navy for those four years, he sort of straightened his life out. And when he came back, he began, he began taking classes at Tulane's University College. I think he snuck in there. They didn't know that he hadn't graduated <laughs> from high school yet. <laughs> that could be a problem in today's environment. Yeah, he snuck in there. He started taking college classes at Tulane's University College, and he earned enough credits at Tulane's University College that he was admitted to the University of New Orleans based on his transcript at mm. Tulane. They never discovered that he hadn't graduated from high school. <laughs> now, University of New Orleans, he earned both a Bachelor of Science and a Master's of Science in my favorite field, physics. Physics. Yeah. And in 1974, he, um, he, he got a Ph.D. from the University of Utah, and that was in computer science. After he finished his Ph.D., he went to work uh, for New York Institute of Technology, NYIT, in their computer graphics lab. He was there for, uh, you know, for a short while, actually a very short while, less than a year. <laughs> I don't think he liked I don't think he liked living in New York. And then he moved to uh, Santa Cruz and he worked. Yeah. He was. He was an assistant professor at UC Santa Cruz from 74 to 78. I think he wanted to get out of New York City. Uh-huh. I, mean, he would, I mean, he grew up in Plainville, Texas, and he went to University of Utah. So I think going to New York was probably a culture shock. Culture shock, shock yes. I'd say he was, he was there less than a year, and boom, then he went to Santa Cruz. He was there for four years at University of Santa Cruz, and then he moved to Stanford, in the, and he was a professor of electrical engineering. And he was in Stanford from 79 until 82. Now, he was very interested in 3D graphic rendition. So his work concerned geometry, what they call geometry pipelines, which was specialized software or hardware that accelerated the display of three-dimensional images. Because the problem is that when you're trying to, like if, you're, if you have a game with these complicated three-dimensional images, if you have your central processor do all the calculations for the 3D images, it just slows everything down. So what you want is a separate processor that will calculate, the th that will render the 3D images, and then they're just, it'll just send it to the display, and that offloads all the work from the CPU. So he was working on the, that kind of rendering software. Now, in 1979, with a group of students, he created what was probably the most significant achievement while he was at Stanford, the Geometry Engine. Hmm. The Geometry Engine. It, and it was actually a, an early hardware accelerator for rendering computer images based on geometric models. So he was a pioneer in this back in 19. 79, he had, he had about four or five graduate students, uh, and they created the Geometry Engine. In 1982, Clark, with the same group of graduate students who had been working on the Geometry Engine with him, 
they founded Silicon Graphics. Now, Silicon Graphics, they made graphical workstations, and initially their workstations were as terminals where they would log into a central server, and the central server would actually execute the geometry engine. Later, they released standalone Unix workstations that actually had fast graphics rendering hardware built in. And they, they actually designed a chip for the graphics for the, for the rendering hardware. So this was the first time that they had actually had any kind of separate graphics processes to accelerate the, the rendering. Silicon graphics, by, 90, by, nine, by 1991, silicon graphics, that's about um, nine years later, they became a world leader in the production of Hollywood movies. All, all the big houses that were going to animation at that time had silicon graphics uh, workstations, and they were used for visual effects and 3D imaging. Silicon graphics focused on the high-end market, like movie making, because that's they could charge a premium. They could just charge a lot for their hardware. So it was it was high profit, low volume kind of business. Now by 1994, Clark, even though he was co-founder of Silicon Graphics with his graduate students, he had significant differences of opinion with the Silicon Graphics management. You see, they'd gone public, and then you had that brand their managers coming in. And I think he wanted to just keep Silicon Graphics focused on high end, and the management wanted to sort of broaden the market and go in different directions. So Clark left in January of 1994. Now, in February of 1994, Clark met Mark Andresen, now, Mark Andresen had been at the National Center for Superconducting Applications, and he wrote one of the first, he wrote actually the second web browser, Mosaic. That, that, that the, the first web browser was, uh, was, was, was created there at CERN by, um, I forget his name, he, it was created by CERN when, when, he, when he came up with the, the browser and HTTP and all, and, and the, and the, and the hyper, hyperlink. So the second browser was made by uh, by uh, Mark Andrazine Mosaic at the uh, in, in the U.S. at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. So Clark and and Andresen, they said, "Look, we should actually make a company out of this." So they founded Netscape, and they developed the Netscape Navigator. And I remember the first Mosaic. I, I actually had a Mosaic browser. Did you back back then? Yeah, it was it was you know you you could get them. You could you could. You could get the um, you get the protocol. You'd have to install your own protocol stack. They called the Windows Socket. You'd have to install your own TCP IP protocol stack. You know, I mean, it was like a it's like homebrew. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and you know, I loved you know, I had a lot of fun doing that. And and then, but they founded Netscape and they made it a lot more convenient. That you know, the protocol stack was all integrated together. You didn't have to put in your WinSock Win and you didn't have you didn't have to know how it worked. You could just install it and it would work. So they founded Netscape in, 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 in you know, back in '94, uh, and then they issued an IPO in August of 1995, and they launched the internet boom. And this was back, if you remember, when we had the browser wars. Remember, Microsoft had Internet Explorer on their Windows machine, and they made it a mandatory browser. It would install by default whenever you install Windows. And they were, they were trying to keep Netscape out. Netscape was trying to build, essentially, uh, a browser that would compete with Internet Explorer, but they wanted to, to develop a whole operating system built around the technology of the browser 
So they would eventually, in their judgment, compete with Windows. Mm -hmm. And Windows just wanted to shut them down. And there was this knockdown, drag-out battle. I mean, and eventually there were antitrust lawsuits and everything, and that was back in the day. Now, I, I actually use both browsers. I like them both. I like Netscape. I, I, I like the... Uh, I like the uh, the Netscape Navigator. That's how I learned to write HTTP. I mean, it was really nice. You could add, you could, you could, uh, you, you could say put in a table. You could create a table with a graphical user interface, and then you could go back and look at the HTTP code. So I learned how to program HTTP using the Netscape Navigator. I used the code generator. That's that's how I taught myself, uh, mm -hmm. you know, program with HTTP. So I love that Navigator. It was really nice. Nice for a developer. I, I just loved that, and I hated the fact that they lost the browser war to uh, to Microsoft. Now, ultimately, you know, Netscape lost the browser war, and AOL bought Netscape. They bought Netscape in 1994, and uh, Clark, who owned a percentage of Netscape, he exited that sale with $1.2 billion. Wow. That's not bad. Not bad now, he at all. He had invested four million in Netscape originally in 1994 when they uh, when right when they first no he, he his initial investment in in yeah 1994 was uh, was uh, four million dollars when they exited in 1999 he he had 1.2 billion dollars so he went from four million to 1.2 billion in five years hmm. not bad not bad in 1995 after after he had sold that. He decided to uh, develop technology for the healthcare industry, and he created a startup called Healthion. It's founded in 1996. He used that. He used some of the proceeds from his Netscape sale. And uh, but Healthion back then was competing with WebMD, and WebMD was backed by Microsoft. So now Clark was in the same stinking battle. He was battling Microsoft with Netscape, and now he's got healthy on, and he's battling Microsoft again. So what he decided to do this time was join forces instead of fight to the bitter end. So he basically went to WebMD, and they had a complementary technology. So they merged with WebMD. Healthion took all of their technology, embedded it in WebMD, and they formed WebMD MD Corporation, and and when they did that merger, he made more money. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I couldn't find out how much he made on the deal, but this time he decided to merge with the Microsoft product instead of compete to the bitter end. He'd have probably been better off doing that with Netscape too. I think he could have gotten more out of Netscape if they'd have played that story a little bit different. Mm -hmm. In 1999, he launched My CFO. Now, this was a company formed to help wealthy Silicon Valley individuals manage their fortunes. Kind of a narrow market. <laughs> and um, and, he, and he, was, he was successful. That eventually turned that over to other people to run. In 1984, he received the ACM SIGGRAPH Computer Graphics Achievement Award. This was for, you know, his development of the, gra of the geometry engine. I mean, he, he was a real pioneer. But, you know, I have to say, too, it's, you know, he had, he had three or four graduate students that went on to do great things in technology. So it, it wasn't necessarily that James Clark did it all. He was able to assemble a team and provide the vision for the team to develop the technology. So 
some of his graduate students, I, I think I'll maybe feature some of them, went on to do really good things. In 1988, Clark was the award recipient of the Entrepreneur of the Year Award in the Northern California region, which is quite nice. In uh, 1997, he received the Kilby International Award for his computer vision graph, for his, for his, um, for his leadership in computer graphics vision and for enabling the network, network exchange of information. Now, it's an interesting, he's an enthusiastic yachtsman. He spent a lot of money on yachts. I mean, his yachts might cost 90, $95 million. Wow. They were, and he, he had a lot, quite a few of them. So he loved yachting, but he had uh, arthritis in the ankle. So he was not able to navigate, uh, uh, he couldn't sail in rough weather. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so he, he didn't race them, but he loved owning racing yachts. And um, and he um, and he and he he bought yachts. He and he sailed in calm weather whenever he could. But after 22 years, he said, "You know," he said, "I've owned yachts for 22 years." And he said, "Now I think I'm ready to move on." So there you go. You've got everything you need to know about James H. Clark, there the man go. best known as co-founder of Silicon Graphics and Netscape Communications. Hope you're paying attention because the information just imparted by Dr. Shirts could land you free lunch when this isolation stuff is over with. Uh, stay tuned for the pop quiz, which we're going to play here on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. Learn more about Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love this Zoom audience. They're so excited. 
it's got to be a Zoom audience because there's nobody here. Nobody's here. Everybody's on Zoom, and we love all their enthusiasm. Yes. Of course, this is just not a radio show. No. This is a classroom of the airways. Right. And that means we have to assess whether the audience has been learning anything. We do that with a pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining in one of the Stratford University dining rooms. And you'll get an A-plus for today's show. So what we have going here is, uh, earlier in the show, I talked about James H. Clark. Right. Best, he's best known as co-founder of Silicon Graphics and another company. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now. Yes. The question. The please. question is, what browser did James Clark help produce? If you know the answer to today's question, then why wouldn't you? Now's the time to pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're frantically searching WebMD in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else anywhere else may reach us on the Latex Wrap International Line. 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, thank you very much. Let's talk about the product of the week. We shall. Studies show that we pick up our cell phone hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. And that could be undermining our hand-washing efforts. We call our phone the third hand that we never wash. Unless you treat your cell phone the same way as your hands, it's going to be hard to keep all three clean. You ever thought of that, Jim? I don't know. Think about that. I'm thinking. So, you know, you, you, you touch something, you get some germs on it, then you make a phone call. Then all those germs are right on your phone. Yes. You wash your hands. The germs are still on your phone. That's right. You pick up your phone, you get phone. the germs right back again. Exactly. That's right. Enter phone soap. That's the product of the week. Phone soap. It's a device that kills the germs on your phone using UV light. Wow. You just place your phone in, you just place it into the phone soap uh, container and let it work. And it comes out clean and sanitized. Now, according to an MIT study, alcohol wipes are pretty effective at fighting bacteria. And UV light can be effective under some circumstances. Mm -hmm. Now, there is when I started doing research on this a bit, they said they're not certain that it hasn't been tested on the new coronavirus yet. So they're not really certain. Phone soap did not work so well on SARS, but they uh, but according to the company, they think it will work pretty well on this coronavirus. But I don't see any research on it. Now, on the other hand, phone makers warn you not to wipe the surface of your phone off with these alcohol wipes. They said it will destroy the coatings on the surface of the yeah, phone. Yeah, it will. So uh, Most on the screen is, is what yeah, we're talking about, right? On, on the screen. And so, and so this, so I went to the Phone Soap website, and it's really an easy website to remember, phonesoap.com. Mm. They're, they're sold out. Uh, but you can, they're back ordered. You can put in an order there. They, they have different models on the go. They've got some that are smaller, some that are bigger. They vary from $79 to maybe $129. They're back ordered with maybe a delivery in a month. 
So that was one product of the week. So, you know, it's, it's funny you should say that because at Other Job, we had a, a scare uh, back toward the, toward the very beginning of the coronavirus situation, and we disinfected uh, a trash can. And then we decided to sit it outside because the best disinfectant in the world is, guess what, sunshine, right? Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they've used UV light for this. So, okay, let me ask you this, and I'm putting you on the spot here. If you can't get this because it's sold out and you don't want to wipe your phone down with a wipe, what do you do? What can, what can you put on your phone that's so not there, going to— Well, there are, uh, there are UV lights that you can buy, wands, UV wands. So mm-hmm. you could—I mean, you could— you know, you could probably get UV. Um, is there any? Probably get a UV. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You probably you could if you had your what if you would put on if you would take your cell phone and put a plastic uh, cover over the screen. Uh huh. And then put it in in a uh, in a case. Then I think you could use an alcohol wipe. But you're not actually wiping the screen not itself. Wiping that's the that's screen. what they, they they don't want you to wipe the screen directly with an alcohol wipe. I wonder. So, I wonder if there's anything else that you could use, any other liquid that you could use if you couldn't do this. I I think that's that's the only thing I know about. I'm I'm going to hope that the UV light works. I know in my uh, you know in my um, hot tub it has a UV light, and so uh-huh. in all of the and all it just circulates the water through the UV light. And then uh, and and it and it sterilizes the water. So UV kills bacteria very well. I don't so, want to think about the fact that you have a hot tub. Yeah, I just that's. Well, on the other hand, Jim, I'm not doing the show from the hot tub. I just I want to give you that. That's uh, reassuring. I want to give you that visual image. No, I'm sitting here with my tuxedo on in the office. No, you're not. You know, you're doing very. You're wearing very cool. a tuxedo T-shirt and boxer shorts. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, now. Okay, so we don't. Let me let me interject for a second here. We don't have okay. a winner yet. Uh, the question: Which web browser did James Clark help develop and help create? That's the answer. The phone number to call is eight seven seven nine three six nine three three three. Continue on, sir. Okay, let's have another product of the week. Okay, this is technology to keep you from touching your face. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just creating because we all know if you, you know, I mean, the way you get this. Uh, coronavirus, you, you touch something, you shake somebody's hand, you get it on your hands, and then you rub your eyes or 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 pick up a hamburger and, and, and get it on the hamburger and eat it. And so you don't want to you don't want to touch your mouth, your eyes, your nose, your ears if, if, if you haven't washed your hands. Studies show that people touch their face 25 times an hour. It's almost reflexive. You don't even know you're doing it. Mm-hmm. That's once. Yeah, that's once every exactly. two. That's once every two minutes. And so, how can you break the habit of something you've been doing for years? So there's something called jalapeno. No. <laughs> okay, this is the first one. Because pretend that you've got jalapeno juice on your hands, mm-hmm. and if you touch your eyes, your eyes are going to burn. Yeah. You touch your mouth. Your mouth is going to burn. So you want to keep the jalapeno juice away from your hands. So so Kim Bernstein, she's a University of Hawaii professor. She designed an app for the fitness tracker. You know, it's like a watch that fits on your – and so what it is, she acts because it has an accelerometer in it. So anytime you lift up your hand and it goes close to your face, the tracker starts beeping and vibrating. And – 
So if you get too close, and so you you know you it's calibrated, and so if you if you're wearing your fitness uh, you know your fitness watch, uh, anytime you get close to your face, it reminds you not to touch your face. I mean, it's really a good idea. It's a very good idea. Ninety nine cents, jalapeno. Now here's the thing. I went to their website, jalapenoapp.com, and yesterday, during the day, their website was up. I went to it this morning around 5 a.m. The website was not up, and it said they had some domain um, registry issues. So uh, it maybe it'll be up in a day or two. Uh, so this is jalapenoapp.com. That was a very good thing. But but now you got the question: What happens if you don't have a fitness watch? You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. What, what you gonna, what, so there's somebody else, and they they actually may. Oh, by the way, she is going to extend the app, and she's going to write an application for the Apple Watch. So I'd say in about a month or so, Apple Watch people are going to get the same application, so they won't be touching their face. Mm-hmm. Now there is another device for somebody that doesn't want to have to buy like a $400 Apple Watch. You can buy a $50 wristband. And so this is the ImmuTouch coronavirus <laughs> wristband. ImmuTouch. <laughs> And it is uh, and it is fifty dollars, and so it's uh, it's it's made by Habitware.com. And what they originally they they developed this technology for people who who bite their fingernails, and mm-hmm. so and they don't they they don't they're doing it it, it it buzzes. And there's some people that have this um, ailment where they'll pull out their hair, and they and they want to stop them from doing it. And right. so and so they're different. So they had already had this technology in place, so they simply adapted it to no, no touching your face. So you can go to habitware.com, and and it's got an and so it's got its little wrist band that 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 has an accelerometer built into it, and um, and it senses your hand move at ten times a second, and if you get close to your face, it buzzes, so that you won't won't touch your eyes, won't touch your mouth, and and a, and a wristband is fifty dollars, and the you know the the software is free. That, that goes with it, and and if you got and normally you touch your face with just one with your dominant hand, but if you're if you're somebody who's ambidextrous, you're touching with both hands. You could buy two wristbands. Yeah. So you go, but then it's fifty dollars each. So that would be habitware.com. So that was the second device of the week: how to keep from touching your face. Gotcha. Okay, Doc. We have somebody who'd like to play the game. Okay. And because we're getting late in the show here, we're going to just come back from the call and finish up the show. We're not going to take okay, another break. Very okay. Good. Very good. All right. Good. Let us go now to line one. This is Ken, who is calling us from Laurel, Maryland. Ken, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ken. Ken, are you there? Thomas from. Oh, is this Thomas? Thomas from Bowie. Thomas, Thomas, sorry about that. How are you, Doctor Shirts? Go ahead and ask the question. Thomas from Bowie. What uh, what browser did James H. Clark help produce? Netscape browser. There you go. That That's is correct. Question. Very, Very good. good. Thank you, sir. And uh, we will uh, send you back over to Andrew. He will take your information and uh, we'll send out the prize out to you. All right, Doc. Let's continue on, shall we? Okay. Let's just do that. Okay. Let's talk about Alexa provide guidance for the uh, for the coronavirus information. Amazon announced that you can get information about coronavirus just from Alexa. You just say, you can ask Alexa, Alexa, what do you think I have? Do you think I have COVID-19 or coronavirus? And then Alexa will ask you a series of questions. Do you have a fever? Do you have this? Do you have that? And by answering the questions, she will assess your risk level and recommend whether you should get tested. Mm-hmm. 
And the voice assistant will use the Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare guidelines that matches your symptoms. And so now if you are, oh, they've got another thing that, that's available in the United States and UK. You know, you're supposed to, when you wash your hands, you're supposed to wash your hands for 20 seconds. Yeah. So you can ask Alexa to sing a song for you. No. And she'll sing a song for 20 seconds and you keep washing your hands until... The song is over. I'd rather you sing with a choir for twenty yes. seconds. How's that? I know. Yeah, that's it. so. Everybody's trying to just jump in on this uh, on this whole coronavirus thing that's uh, you know coming up. Let's just and now I, I think I should talk about some of the. Um, I'm looking for the numbers relating to this week. Remember, I said last week that if we were going to double double the number of. Uh, double the number of users every three days, we yeah. would have too many people coming here. Well, I was just seeing that in Fairfax County, the D.C. area, they said they thought they would peak in around around in July. And if we're going to peak in infections in July, that means that we're actually doubling every 12 days, which I think is an excellent result. If we had doubled every three days, we would have had a catastrophic result in about 39 days. Mm-hmm. But we're doubling apparently in every uh, 12 days, so we're, we're going to peak in July. So it looks like D.C. is doing a good job at social isolation, and it looks like we're going to flatten the curve. On the other hand, New York City is doubling every two days. They have been doubling every two days. Some recent data this last week said they, they, they might have slowed it down a bit, doubling every 4.3 days. So there is some good social, iso- social isolation going on there in New York, but they started a little bit late. I mean, they were they were celebrating, uh, you know, the Mardi Gras. They were celebrating also the Chinese New Year. They were having a lot of uh, group activities in New York, and the infection just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So now they're they're fighting it. Well, it didn't help that they didn't shut things down that quickly up there. No, they they waited too long. And yep. then New York, New Orleans has a problem. They New Orleans did not cancel the Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And, after, and after the Mardi Gras, I mean, they had huge infection rates. Yep. So New Orleans is, is growing fast, too. But we are making progress with this coronavirus. And uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Maybe some technology will help you. Okay. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website. And tell them that you heard about Stratford University on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.